All right, we're reading from Romans 8, verses 12 to 17. If you've got a Bible that you picked up on the way in, it's page 1133. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. It was wonderful to be here with you last Sunday for that combined celebration up here in the northeast. And Sue and I, you know, delighted to be back with you uh, today and for these next couple of weeks. As uh, you've already picked up, we're doing three weeks on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I did some of these talks in the city quite recently. And when there, there was a fairly new member in the city, you know, 12 months or so, who said to one of our staff members when he found out we were having talks on the Holy Spirit, he said, I found it quite a relief, really, uh, because I wasn't sure if this church believed in the Holy Spirit. You know? so the, like, can, I, can I just say, we do believe in the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, sometimes you get churches, you know, Father, Son and Holy Bible, and sometimes, because we're a Bible-teaching church, people wonder if that's the case. Uh, from time to time, you probably say one of the creeds, and in uh, either the Nicene, the Apostles' Creed, it talks about the fact that, uh, well, we declare, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we do believe in the Holy Spirit, but what we'll find over these next couple of weeks, or the question we'll be trying to answer is, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? It's not that we don't believe, but what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any period of time, you'll know this is a topic that actually does generate a fair bit of heat and discussion and divergence of opinion in different directions. You see, when people describe their relationship with God, uh, some people describe their relationship with God as full of uh, intimacy and profound emotions, uh, God stepping in regularly to lead and guide them in different situations in life, both big and small decisions. Uh, they have an expectation that certain gifts, maybe speaking in tongues, will be operational in a church context. You know, very sort of vibrant, you know, contentful. And then there are other Christians where uh, their life seems more like a flat pack furniture from Ikea. Uh, let me explain what I mean. You know how when you get a flat pack furniture kit from Ikea, you get the box full of stuff and the instructions for how to assemble it. You've got to follow these instructions in order to assemble the item. That you, it never works for me, but uh, you know, the, that's the way it's meant to work. I think some people operate with the Christian life that functions a little bit like that. You know, God has left the instructions, the Bible, Right? And your job is to follow those instructions. God steps back at a distance and observes what's going on. You follow the instructions in the Bible and assemble your life around these instructions 
Then when you die, you'll have this meeting with God where you'll assess what happened and make plans from there. You know, that you get just different senses of how people operate in their Christian walk. When we raise the Holy Spirit, there are significant issues that constantly get raised. Questions like, what does it mean to be baptised with the Spirit or filled with the Spirit? Uh, What's the gift of the Spirit? Should we all get that gift today or not? Should we pray to the Spirit? Uh, The New Testament doesn't have any examples of praying to the Holy Spirit, but should we do it nonetheless? There, There are a range of views that will happen in these matters and often those views are shaped by our particular backgrounds and experiences over whatever time we might have been a Christian or whatever time we've been listening. Can I say the purpose of this short series of talks is not to stir up and agitate enormous division in your midst so that when I leave, Luke and the leadership team will then have lots of discussions with you to sort all this stuff out. All right? That's the advantage of being a visiting preacher. You can stir the water, depart, and leave it to the local pastor to try and resolve things. That isn't the goal of what I want to do over these next couple of weeks. When we come to Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, What I want to do over these three weeks is to study and look at what the Bible says and grapple with what we're taught about the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our church. In order to work out whether the Holy Spirit has been at work in our midst over that three weeks, we'll know because if, if we're more unified at the end of it, we'll know the Holy Spirit's been at work. For the Holy Spirit is given to unify God's people in the truth of the gospel. Okay? So if the Holy Spirit's at work these three weeks, we'll know it because we'll be more unified at the end of that period. Okay? I'm going to pray that's the case and uh, then we'll, we'll jump in a bit more. Let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful kindness to us and your Son. Uh, Father, we thank you that you've given us uh, the Holy Spirit Uh, to lead us into all truth about you and our relationship with you. And we pray that at the end of the time today, but these coming three weeks, that uh, we'll be more unified in our understanding and enriched by our understanding of how gracious you have been to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're following the outline, uh, the first question I've got there is, who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, The 39 Articles of Religion, they're a well-known statement of the essentials of Christianity that were put together at the time of the Reformation. Article 5 of those statements is of the Holy Spirit. It reads like this. The Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, is of one substance, majesty and glory with the Father and the Son. Very and eternal God. So ancient English, uh, but you get the point, don't you? The, it's really just stating what the Bible says. If we go to a place like Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus is commissioning his disciples and he says this, this to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, you get that, that clear statement of the Holy Spirit being God, that is the third person in the Trinity. And we could spend all three weeks talking about or focusing our attention on who the Holy Spirit is. But instead what I want to do, and I think this is the emphasis in the New Testament, I want to focus mainly on what the Spirit does. Okay, Not so much who the Holy Spirit is, he's God, but rather what he, what he does. What does he do? One of the most unusual verses, I think, in the whole Bible is in John chapter 16, verse 7. You can see it up there on the screen. This is Jesus. He's talking to his followers just before he's about to be killed and be raised from the dead. And listen to what he says. Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, don't you reckon that is weird? <laughs> like, in what, what world can Jesus say to us, you'll be better off without me? Right? You'll be better off if I depart and leave you alone. This is the guy they've spent the last three years with. They've watched him do incredible miracles. He's taught them all about God. He's their close friends. No worries, I'm leaving, but you're better off without me. How can you ever be better off without Jesus? Really? But of course, we're better off because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. That's why we're better off. You pick it up later in John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he'll make known to you. Do you get the point? The Holy Spirit is Jesus-focused and the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring home for followers all that Jesus has done for us. Now, sometimes when uh, we talk about the the way in which the Holy Spirit is self-effacing, you know, points us to Jesus. Uh, people think, oh, this is, um, uh, you know, it's sort of not giving the Holy Spirit enough credit. You know, the Holy Spirit should have more limelight than that. So let me, let me run a, a bit of an illustration past you, see if it works. Um, how many of you uh, were West Wing fans? West Wing? How many of you actually watched, watched the West Wing? Some of you. It was a big political series that came out of the States in sort of the early 2000s. And uh, there you can see it up there on the screen. And you don't need to have watched it for this to work for you. But it's one of the first occasions, I think, when Australians got this sort of window into American politics. Okay. Uh, Jed Bartlett, so I'll flip there. There he is, Jed Bartlett. Played, he was the president, played by Martin Sheen. Then next to the president, the most powerful person was his appointee, his chief of staff, Leo McGarry, right, played by John Spencer. Now here's the thing, the um, chief of staff in the White House is an incredibly powerful person. He is the person who organises everything, you know, puts the deals together, paves the way for the president, 
They work in lockstep together, uh, but, uh, you know, in many ways, the chief of staff just sits in the background so that the president gets all the limelight, but unless they work well together, it'll all fall apart. Okay, today, the president of the United States is... Joe Biden, right? No, like you know that, don't you? Everyone knows it's Joe Biden. And his chief of staff is... His chief of staff is... Come on, guys, the chief of staff. The most powerful political appointee possibly on the face of the planet is... And you don't know. I didn't know before I looked it up either. It's actually Jeff Zients. And even when I say it, you think, well, I've never heard of him. Okay. Right, most powerful political appointee, the president's right-hand person, together they execute some of the agendas that influence the world, but you don't know who he is. And in so many ways, that is the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Absolutely critical, absolutely vital. But the task is to point us to Jesus so that we will fully understand and have focus on what God has for us. The Spirit brings us into an understanding of the riches of the relationship we have with God through Jesus. And I want to explore the dimensions of that uh, by looking at Romans chapter 8 with you and to ask the question, where is the Holy Spirit leading us? When we come to Romans chapter 8, there's a significant shift in this letter. For the first seven chapters of Romans, the Holy Spirit is mentioned, I think, about twice. You get to Romans chapter 8, and the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. Okay, it's a purple Holy Spirit passage. You know, it's very, very, very big. Romans chapter 8, 14, we read these words. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It's interesting, wasn't it? When Meredith was talking to the kids, she asked them whether they were aware of the Spirit prompting them in their lives, and they had that sort of, you know, like there was a hesitation, an uncertainty around that. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So I'd like to ask whether you're led by the Spirit of God. See, are you led by the Spirit of God? Now, you don't have to answer, it's rhetorical. Uh, But get the importance of this question. If you're not led by the Spirit of God, you're actually not a child of God. You're not a Christian. So it's clearly a very important question to be able to answer. You should know that you're led by the Spirit because you actually are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Often, I think the discussion turns to decisions or guidance, what I should do, who I should marry, what job I should uh, work in, what retirement village should I retire into, you know, all those sort of practical, detailed questions about how we operate our life. And can I say, God God can lead us in all sorts of different ways and in those decisions. You go to a place like Acts chapter 16, verse 6, we're told there that the Holy Spirit prevents uh, Paul and his friends from preaching the gospel in Asia, steps in and guides them in that way. We're not sure of the details of that, 
how that worked. We're not given that information, but it's a clear work of God. And you can point to those sort of examples where God sovereignly interferes, intercedes in people's lives to direct them in certain ways. Okay? I'm totally convinced God can do that. But I understand this is different. Now, what we're being told here is that if you're a follower of God, right, then you will be led by the... It won't just happen occasionally. You will be led by the Spirit of God. What does that mean? Let me just pick out three key ways in which the Spirit leads us. You pick up here in Romans chapter 8. Firstly, the Spirit leads us into godliness, that is, into wanting to please God. So Romans chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And you hear this contrast between flesh and spirit. Now when it's talking about flesh, it's not talking about, you know, bone and muscle and sinew and brain matter. It's, that's not the point of flesh. What it's talking about is the mind and heart that rejects God and says, I'll be the boss of me. Okay, it's that flesh commitment which is apart from the spirit, apart from God. And so the, the spirit idea is that God gives us the Holy Spirit but to convict us of sin and help us to trust Jesus and also to live for God, right? Flesh is apart from God, spirit is living to please God. Or in other words, verse 13, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. If you're trying to think about the misdeeds of the body, Romans chapter 1, we're thinking about you know, greed or gossip or envy or jealousy or sexual immorality or a fixation with, with money or anger or you know, all those sorts of things. Sometimes when I talk to believers, uh, they'll say to me that they struggle with sin, therefore they mustn't be a Christian. You know, they, they feel bad about their struggle with sin and they think, well, therefore I can't be a follower. Can I say, I think it's actually, for those who are sensitive and concerned, I think it's the opposite. That is, when you're concerned about your sin, when you're struggling with sin, when you have conviction about your failure to honour God properly, then it seems to me that is a sure sign that you have the Spirit of God. Right? Spirit leads us into godliness. The second thing that comes up here in Romans 8 is the way in which the Holy Spirit leads us into the riches of a relationship with God as our Father. Now, verse 15. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have no fear of judgment at the hand of God. Back in Romans 8 verse 3, we're told God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering the, the point here is that you have no if you're a, a follower of God and you have the Holy Spirit 
you have no fear of judgment or punishment because Jesus has taken the punishment in our place. I mentioned before that I worked as a lawyer for a while. At law, there is a principle called double jeopardy. That is, essentially what it means is you cannot be punished twice for the same crime. Uh, Biblically, what we're being told here is that Jesus was punished for our sin when he went to the cross in our place. And because he has been punished for our sin, if we trust in Jesus, we cannot be punished for our sin, right? God has already dealt with our sin on the cross and for those who trust in him, we have forgiveness. But can I say this is not just a clinical payment of a debt. Uh, It is that, but it's much more than that. Again, looking at verses 15 and 16, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now literally here, it's the spirit of adoption. See, it's one thing for guilty people to be acquitted, but for guilty people like you and I, to be given full rights and members as God's children. Now, that is extraordinary. When it talks about uh, sonship here, the point is not to uh, be gendered so much as to point out the fact that uh, we are being given the same rights in relation to the Heavenly Father as his beloved son, Jesus. Male, female, whatever your situation, you're adopted into the family as sons like Jesus, the same sort of rights. That's what's going on here. And it means we get to call God Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Just a few weeks ago, I was reading in the paper that Lady Neil had died. Now, Lady Neil was married to Sir Eric Neil, and he was the he was the governor of South Australia for a period. Uh, because of uh, Trinity Church in Adelaide, their historic sort of setting in the city, there's always been a relationship with the senior minister in the city and the governor. And so, when Sir Eric was uh, the the governor of South Australia. He and uh, Lady Neil invited Sue and I up for just a meal, the four of us, okay, because they wanted to talk to us about something in particular. So we went up, and uh, it was one of those very informal meals uh, in the sense that we were in the kitchen, around the kitchen table. It was just, say, Eric, Lady Neil, Sue, I, and I think three servants, okay? So very intimate and we're in a room, the kitchen, that was as bad as big as my house, right? But uh, you get, so sort of informal, but not, not really, you know? And we're sitting around the table, and I didn't say, oh, Eric, pass the potatoes, right? It was still Sir Eric, and it was still lady. It was friendly, but there was still a level of formality. Friends, when we are brought into the family of God, right, it's not your excellency God or sir God. Uh, we're brought into an intimate relationship. We're told it's Abba, Father, or dear dad, or 
dearest daddy. The academics can't work out really what it is. And I don't think the words actually, when they're like, I would never have called my father dearest daddy. You know, uh, I don't know what works for you, but you get the point, don't you? That is, we're brought into the closest possible relationship with our heavenly father, Abba Father. In Mark 14, uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and it's just hours before he's about to die. And he talks to his Heavenly Father. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba, Father. See, this is the one you can trust. This is the one you can reach out to in the moment of your greatest crisis is your Heavenly Father. If you've been a follower of the Lord Jesus for some time, you can easily forget how special it is. Uh, The Quran is... uh, Islam's holy book. Apparently there are 98 names for God in the Quran. But none of them are personal. Not, not one of them. But we have this extraordinary privilege of being brought into this intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the third thing, just to mention briefly, is the Spirit leads us into our inheritance. Verse 17 of Romans 8. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So what do we inherit? If uh, Sue and I die, uh, our three kids will get equal shares of not very much. Okay, that's just the way it works. It gets divided sort of three ways. When it comes to our relationship with God, uh, our inheritance, it doesn't get divided up, you know. You know Peter Lockery gets forgiveness, you know. Sue gets adoption. And, you know, we don't have to share them out. Uh, we all get everything that Jesus has, right? All get everything, all the blessings. We're co-heirs with Christ. We get what Jesus gets. We'll share in his glory and we'll share in the life that is to come. We have absolute security as we face the future. Romans 8 verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So where's the Spirit leading us? Uh, into a job, a home, a marriage, a retirement village, helping us to work out where we send our kids to school. Of course, God can lead and guide us in all those different decisions. But I want to suggest to you that what the Holy Spirit does is to lead us into something much better, something much richer and something much more important. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and the Holy Spirit convicts us 
of sin makes us right with God and gives us that desire to live and to honour him, to serve him with our lives. But this in particular, the Holy Spirit helps us understand that we aren't God's employees, we aren't God's slaves, we're not God's financial backers, we aren't God's marketers. What we are is his beloved children. That's who we are. And that's the wonderful gift of having the Holy Spirit be convinced and gripped by that truth in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Just so special. What I'd love to do is I'd love to uh, pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you're a God who is uh, gracious, merciful, kind. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus came into this world, went to the cross, rose again from the dead. And Father, we know we're better off without Jesus that is physically present here because the Spirit has been poured out so the riches of all that Jesus has done uh, can be known by us, uh, understood by us, uh, felt by us. Uh, Father, we we thank you uh, that you're at work in us by your Spirit and we pray that we'll just understand more and more the riches of our adoption into your family and all the benefits and blessings that come with us. Uh, Father, we, we just pray that we'll grow in that, our understanding and our heartfelt desire to live for your glory and honour in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.